This morning's Bible reading comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, starting at verse 1 to verse 11. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. This is the word of the Lord. All right, we all know why we work, don't we? We all know why we put up with this nine-to-five grind. We do it so that we can rest. Put simply, we work so that we can rest. We we work throughout the whole year so that we can accrue enough time to have four weeks of holidays. When we're kids, we look forward to school holidays, unless you're my eldest daughter who is still wrestling with the fact that school holidays is when everything that she loves doing during the week actually stops for a little while. They're about to face what happens when she can't go to preschool for two weeks. This is a new thing for us, but we will get through it as a family together. But as you get older, school holidays become a great thing. In high school, you look forward to it. It's the best thing ever. When you're a teacher, you know you really, really need it. We don't just work in the short term, though. We don't just work in the short term for short-term rest. We also work most of our lives to be able to achieve the ultimate rest. Retirement. (laughs) To retire is to leave behind the nine-to-five grind, to move to a sleepy coastal town, go travelling, play golf, join social clubs, enjoy good quality times looking after your grandkids, do many amazing things. (laughs) Just don't do the nine-to-five grind anymore because you've done your time. You're only just cashing in on the promise that has always been there, the promise to rest. 
The thing is, a promise is as only good as the one who keeps it. Protests have broken out in France because the French president, Emmanuel Macron, has decided that he wants to change the age of retirement from 62 to be 64. And he wants to do this without even a vote. And many French people are feeling cheated. They're feeling let down, ripped off. They feel betrayed by this. They were promised work and then rest at 62, but now they are facing another extra two years of grind. All because the current person who is holding this promise has simply changed his mind. In our passage today, we find the same promise, that one day we will rest from our works. Our passage today says that this is good news. This is good news for those who can rest. But why should we put all our faith in this promise? And how trustworthy is the promise keeper? So let's start first with the promise. It's true that we will work so that one day we can rest. It even says so in our passage today. There, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. The thing is about rest is we often, and work, we often think about work as something we do and able to not have to do it anymore. We work so we don't always have to work. And when we think about rest, we just simply think about stopping what we're doing. The way we often think about rest is there's just an absence of work. Kind of like my old philosophy when it came to work and house chores, do as much as you can in the morning so that you can rest for the rest of the day. My plan was always I would do anything and everything I could so that I could be on the couch watching TV, doing absolutely nothing towards the end of the day. That was the deal I made with myself so I would get things done. Fortunately, I married Lisa and she had a much better philosophy of work to instill in me. <laughs> but is that what the writer to the Hebrews means when he writes that there is rest for the people of God? With those who enter will rest from their works. See, the key here is that the rest we are talking about isn't just rest as we naturally think about it, it is Sabbath rest. So what is Sabbath rest? These days, there are two main groups who still keep Sabbath. There's the Orthodox Jews and the Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, the Hebrew word for Sabbath is Shabbat, which basically means to cease, to rest. But the letter to the Hebrews is actually written in Greek. And the Greek word that lies behind Sabbath here is sabbatismos, which is a much grander, fuller sense of this world. It gives us a bit of a new dimension to think about rest in. It's not just ceasing from and resting. It actually means to celebrate rest. What Orthodox Jews and Seventh-day Adventists do from Friday sundown to Saturday sun up is they put aside a day to reflect on the fact that God provides for them. That provision comes from God, it's not from their own efforts. God promises to provide for his people and that is something that is worth celebrating. During the lockdowns, I remember sort of seeing a bit of a taste of this thing that we're talking about here. 
Uh, we were all studying for ministry and training and studying for ministry together as families living in a community, but we'd also all put, gave, gave up four years of paid work to do so. So money was tight. We didn't have much extra to spend, and each family had a different ways and good tricks on how to budget and how to save money well, and we would share them with each other all the time. That was until, during lockdowns, Oz study got upped for us, and all of a sudden we had a little bit more money. It was a provision that just brought rest and relief to us. And I remember seeing a wave of families celebrating this new uh, provision to them. See, most families wouldn't even dream of ordering takeaway on the weekend or any time because it was just far too expensive to do so. But since the government upped Oz study, all of a sudden I started seeing through our windows waves of Uber drivers dropping off food to each house every so often, including our house. Suddenly there was this ease, this provision that was coming from somewhere else and the family celebrated this very, this very uh, provision as a family, this, the relief and the rest that this gave us. But weekly Sabbath rest isn't what, is, isn't what the writer is referring to here. It's only a symbol of a greater promise, the greater promise. Sabbath rest is a symbol of the seventh day when God rested from his creative work, now maintaining creation, which is a gift of grace and of love for all of creation. Men and women were created to work in God's creation, to multiply in numbers, to subdue it, to rule over all of it. And the earth would provide by giving food for the man and the woman. However, since sin entered the world, human work is now tainted. The food that was once easily given is now only given through pain and toil. Sabbath rest points to the promise that God made with his people. That God promised Abraham that he would lead him and make his descendants a great nation. It is the same promise that to the Israelites um, that God brought when God brought them out of the slavery of Egypt. Hear Israel, be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God, the God of your ancestors, promised you. This promise was that God's people would be rescued and delivered to a land that God had given his chosen people, where they would find place and provision. They would be placed under his authority and live in his place that was provided for them. But this is still only a symbol of the greater promise. The prophet Isaiah paints an amazing picture of the, of the long eternal promise of a new heaven and a new earth. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. In this new creation, there will be no weeping or crying, no death, no hunger, work will be a joy and no longer in vain, and children will, never, will not be doomed to misfortune. It's a beautiful picture of God's people being restored into right relationship with him. Where all that was lost in the fall is now regained. 
rest not just for a little while, but rest eternally with God. This is truly good news, but who is the promise for? And how is this promise possible? Well, it's all because of the promise keeper. I think we no doubt have all known somebody who promises the whole world, but we have a sneaking suspicion that the world actually isn't theirs to promise. I remember being in a Bible study where there was one member who would constantly try and uh, give us a bit of an an opportunity to sort of improve our lives. He would often say to us that, you know what? You could, if you do what I do, not have to work the rest of your life. And I remember being a little bit feeling the tug of this promise. Actually, the whole group felt the tug of this promise that if we just did what he was doing, that we can have just a life of rest and relaxation. But, and after all, this guy was a really nice guy. And he had a really nice house. And he wore some really nice clothes. And he had a really nice car. And in fact, he actually had a really, really nice vintage motorcycle. But there was just something between the difference of what he was selling to the way it sort of showed itself in his own life. If the promise was true, why was he still working? If the promise was true, why would he be sharing the secret of success with everybody he ran into? If the promise was true, why does he need us as members of the Bible study to be a part of it to make it promise, to make it possible? If the promise was true, shouldn't his life be an example of its truth? The writer of the Hebrews is saying that the promise of entering God's rest still stands. And so make sure that you don't fall short of it. Be ready. Be prepared for it. But how do we know this promise is real? And how is this promise made possible? Fortunately, the answer is that the who and the how is the same person. Jesus is both the promise keeper and the promise fulfiller. This is because Jesus is both our eternal high priest and our once-for-all sacrifice. After the fall, God created a sacrificial system so that his chosen people would be able to atone for their sins. It was a way of being made right before God. Instead of being condemned to to death, God's people would offer pure bulls and goats in their place. And the high priest would sprinkle the bulls and goats' blood over the altar. It was a way of purifying God's people, washing away their sin, the sin that separated them from God. But it was only temporary. This was until God offered his only begotten son, the once for all sacrifice. Jesus, the pure offering, the one without sin, purifies the world with his blood as it sprinkles on the altar of his own body. This promise of salvation, this promise of eternal rest still stands because we have a high priest who was tempted just as we have been tempted, yet did not sin. The promise still stands because it is kept by our faithful promise keeper, the Son of God, who is both sacrifice and high priest. The promise is both kept and fulfilled in Jesus. This is why Jesus can promise rest to those who are weary and burdened. And aren't we all weary? Don't we all feel 
the burden of living life in this fallen world, where it's dog-eat-dog, a world of survival of the fittest. Hear Jesus' voice. Come to me, all who are wearied and burdened, and I will give you rest. And the proof that this promise is kept and the proof that this promise is true is the proof of the cross. The death, the excruciating death on the cross that Jesus experienced to be raised from by God three days later. So the promise stands. But who are those that this promise is to? And can it be refused? Which is my next point. We all have doubts from time to time. Are we going the right way? Are we doing the right thing? Does the person that's leading our group even know where they are going and what they are doing? When I was younger, my friends and I would go every so often out to the city in Sydney in the CBD on a Saturday night. And we all came, came from suburban Sydney on the outskirts, the Norwest, not the West, the Norwest. And we had very little understanding of the geography of the city. We didn't really know our way around. It's a complete maze. Fortunately, we did have one person who at least claimed to the rest of us he knew where he was going. And we always tried to go to this one particular venue. And every time we went, some members would start to get a little bit antsy as we're walking down the streets trying to work our way around the city. They start to get a little bit antsy and they would start to whisper to other members, I'm pretty sure we're supposed to be going the other way. I don't think such and such knows where he's going. He did this to us last time, remember? How about we go this way and we'll be there long before everybody else gets there? And every time, as soon as this started to happen, that would be it. The whole night would be completely ruined because all this one big group would be broken off into many little groups and each of them would settle for other venues instead of the one they were supposed to be going to because they were lost and didn't know what, what else to do. That was unless you were one of the other people who were actually following this you know, self-acclaimed knowledgeable person who would often end up at the place they were supposed to be going, but instead of a group of 23, it would only be three. And I'm sure we've all experienced this social phenomenon where doubt enters the group of people and you just need to feel a sense of wanting to do something. You need to do something because the goal that you're heading toward just seems so far off and you need a solution now. You need to do something now. You need to find comfort now. And grumbling and talk, taking things into my own hands seems to give me some sort of comfort and rest in the situation now. Because I want rest now and I don't care how I get it. God promised his people, uh, promised rest for his people since the seventh day of creation. God then promised rest in the land of Israel when he rescued them from Egypt. But, the writer to the, but as the writer to the Hebrews writes, rest was refused to a whole generation. Because, let me find it. Now, because they did not share the, the faith of those who obeyed, now we who believe enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declare on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. It's 
seems, seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? A whole group of people denied. God takes his promise back because they're not listening to him. They're not obeying him. Who is this group that the writer is referring to anyway? Well, the clue to working it out is that actually the writer's quoting Psalm, 25, Psalm 95. Do not harden your hearts as you did in Meribah and as you did on, the, on that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. The group that we are looking, to, we are looking at right now, this group, this group that the writer is referring to is a group we actually know and have encountered. We did so in our Exodus series last year. It's a group of Israelites who are wandering the desert, grumbling and doubting God and Moses. After they were rescued from slavery in Egypt, the promised land, the promised rest, it just seemed so far away for them. So they started to conspire with each other. They whinged that perhaps they were better off in Egypt after all. And in the moment, which I'm sure made them feel better, they would voice their opinions, try to go their own way. But they ended up, they ended up just like my group of friends, wandering the city, not, not ending up in the place they were supposed to. And in their heart and hearts, they doubted God and his promise. So God, with a righteous anger, refused his promise to them. We may not be wandering in a literal desert like this group that wandered, but we are caught between the fallen creation and the promised new creation. We have this seemingly distant promise of rest before us, yet we feel the pressure and anxiety of living in this fallen world now. And we need rest now. We seek a solution to this now. We seek vices and false promises over listening to God's voice and his faithful promise. And there is so much out there that promises to give us momentary rest because we too often seek the promises of the dopamine over the promises of the divine. When things get hard, we seek relief in treating ourselves, buying things, sex, sexual material, alcohol, drugs, gambling, rescuing people, being the person who is rescued by people, by distracting ourselves in, and burying ourselves in work. We feel uneasy now and we seek a solution that is for now. And with, that, and with it, our, hardens, our hearts begin to harden. And we fall into the trap, the same trap of the wilderness generation of Israel. We doubt God and his promises, and we look to other gods and false promises, just as Israel looked back at slavery in Egypt and the gods of the Egyptians. We look to modern gods for comfort, the gods of comfort and success. We look to things that will enslave us, things that will hold us back from God's promised rest. Peter records in his revelation from God about this promised rest, and it is truly a beautiful picture. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. 
I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old, of, the order, old order of things has passed away. The wilderness generation sold themselves short. So don't make the same mistake. Where in your life are you exchanging the eternal promise of rest from God for short-term rest? Where are you taking the quick fix over the, the salvation and promise of eternal rest with God? Is your heart hardened? Have you stopped listening to God's voice? Did you even listen to begin with? Hear the warning and the invitation of the writer of the Hebrews. God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when long, a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The invitation of promised rest still stands. It is the promise, it has been something that has been promised from the beginning and God has been leading his people to it throughout history. So do not harden your hearts. Instead, listen to God's voice calling you to be a new creation. No longer enslaved to sin as you once were. Hear his voice leading you to eternity. The gospel is good news to those who rest. And those who rest hear Jesus' voice and obey. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. See, all the things that I've mentioned before harden our hearts over time. Mostly because we have to be continually, constantly in our heads justifying to ourselves why this is okay. The more we justify to ourselves, the more God's voice quietens. So this week, take note of what you reach for whenever you're going through hard and anxious time. What is your now solution that you are reaching for instead of listening to God's voice? It's really interesting that throughout the Bible, God's people are encouraged to have his wisdom so much a part of their lives. It's something that we should be talking about continually. It's something we should have written all over, uh, over our houses. It's something that should be so deeply engraved in our hearts. This should not be something that is tacked on to our lives. This is supposed to be the priority that our lives are organised around. If this is not your practice, if you are tacking on these things onto your lives, then perhaps a good way to change, a good place to start, is all the resources that we put together for the Lent period. 
this time in Lent, our spiritual discipline, has been Sabbath rest. And we have so many resources for so many different parts of the, of the week and of the day. It's a good place to start. Because the world we live in is loud and it is distracting. Which is why it is vital to find space daily where it is quiet, where you can focus on listening to God's voice. The promises of this world will lead you to fall short, but the promises of God will lead you all the way to eternity. A promise of eternal Sabbath rest with God, which is assured to us the death and resurrection of Jesus, this promise still stands. Because Jesus is our eternal high priest. And that is why Easter is good news for those who can rest. And that is a rest. That is something that is worth celebrating. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that despite our disobedience, despite our hardened hearts, despite not listening to your voice, the promise still stands. Help us over this week, and particularly over Easter, help us to focus on what you have done for us through your Son. Help our hearts to soften. Help our, hearts, help our ears to hear you. And help us to be people worthy of the promise. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen.